0: Welcome to America's most livable city. Please ignore the invisibles with me. See Pittsburgh, we built economy, but we still need the nation in black poverty. Welcome to America's most livable city. Just ignore the invisibles with me stay state your business. Because the place you live in depends on your race and privilege.
1: Hello, everybody, and welcome to What Black Pittsburgh Needs to Know. I'm your host, Cheryl Hall Russell, and I am with Black Women, Wise Women, uh, BW3, which is a DEI firm here in Pittsburgh. I am joined by my co-host today, and only one, uh, Dr. Jamil Bay with the Urban Kind Institute. Uh, And Jasiri will not be joining us this week. He had uh, something he had to attend to urgently. And we're going to really miss him today, right? Because this is our first anniversary of of the show. We're a few days post one year in doing this work. Um, wow, what a year, Dr. Bay. I can't hear you.
0: We were we were supposed to do like those sitcoms where you walk down memory lane and show the highlight clips uh without Jasiri, we're not going to be able to do that. So we'll just have to find oh, another okay. way to remember and reflect.
1: Here's what we can say. For those of you who don't watch us regularly, we started off last April 7th, uh, after there've been several meetings between us and other folks, we were really concerned about COVID. And we were like, how are we getting information out to black folks? As usual, it was yet something else that was impacting the black community worse than it was other communities. And so in a telephone call, we were like, I know, Let's 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 go. You know, we were like, let's let's go online, and so we messed around with a name. And I think initially I suggested what Black Pittsburgh needs to know about COVID, and then after a while, the about COVID gets dropped, and then this thing turned into something that neither of us, none of us planned, but something that we found out later was very necessary. Right. Yeah.
0: And amid status, here, we we we've, we've gotten better. We've switched platforms a couple of times. Uh, so far, this is the one that we like. It's, you know, we're we're still looking for better ones. We've got a nice production team behind the scenes. And so we've stepped up our game. Yeah. And the one thing that I'm so proud and excited that we've been able to do is from day one, you know, through the, is showcasing the talent and of, of Black folks in Pittsburgh, just the, the expertise, that lived experience, folks that know us, that live with us, that hang with us, that are able to talk to these issues at a very high level, but in a, in a way that our people understand what's happening and can connect and relate to it. And I'm just so proud that we've been consistent with that.
1: Yeah, because I mean, i up 10 years in Pittsburgh, and I have met so many folks, we're always laughing about how tiny it is, and yet all the black people know all the other black people. Not true. I mean, I have met mm-hmm. some really amazing talents in the city and we've been able to to get them on. You know, one of the questions uh, that we got is, is why is it you feature only black people? You know, I've been challenged on that. And, you know, of course, there is there are messages that white people can deliver to black folks that they need to know. But the point here was to do what we just talked about, is to introduce you to to, to black uh, community leaders and residents and professionals of different in different areas, folks from around the nation uh, to really share on, on messages that that, you know, you guys told us were important to you. And, um, you know, we were we were doing this every Tuesday and we've got a different format now we'll talk about in a minute. But literally, I think I've missed maybe three weeks in the year. Uh, and there's very few things that I do that consistently, (laughs) especially, you know, we were kind of doing some planning by the seat of our pants. And so, um, it it really has been interesting. Um, what I'm going to do to join this conversation is I want to bring in our very first guest on August 7th. And that is Dr. Tiffany Gary Webb, who is with the University of Pittsburgh as an associate professor of epidemiology. Tiffany. Hi. Hi! Hey there! How are you? I'm, I'm great. Great! We are so grateful to have you back. I think it's probably what your third or fourth appearance at this point. <laughs> but congratulations on the year! <laughs> <laughs> That's exciting. And so we were laughing before we came on live. That very first show, we were we tried Zoom, and if you remember, we had six minutes of flat air time. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing. Right we didn't know we were lying, but we were like, yeah, we were talking. Every time I go back and look at that, I crack up. But, you know, it started off about COVID a year ago. And you were amazing, of course, and it was still unfolding for you and your colleagues. So you just had no idea where we'd be in a year. Catch me up on that. What what has happened in this year? Was it what's expected? So
2: much. I mean, um, unfortunately, we still are in COVID, but, um, you know, we're seeing the light at the end of the tunnel. Um, we have been going strong with our Black Equity Coalition um, working. I guess now it's been it's been a year um, mm-hmm. working on everything from data to community engagement to uh, meeting with you know, local health departments, state health departments. Um, taking a data to action approach, um, which has been, been very um, exciting for me and challenging for me as a researcher because I, I do lots of studies and so forth, but nothing that are, that's this urgent and, you know, this impactful um, in a short period of time. So it's been, um, you know, as I said, it's been very exciting, very ch- um, but very challenging as well. Um, over this year, but we've accomplished a lot. And I can talk about anything that we, you know, we have done <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> in the see anything that you're interested in.
1: So so one of the things we were talking about yesterday, and we didn't want to kind of brag on ourselves, but just as a process and as a as show and, and the impact, one of the things that, you know, Jasiri said, we kind of have changed one of media mm-hmm. and, and its whole approach. I and, mean, you know, this is kind of the, was a flagship of some of the show's that they're currently doing some of the political stuff, because what happened as we talked about different topics, things grew, you know, out of that. So ask a black doctor, grew okay. out of the work we have been doing with COVID, and they were talking to black attorneys. Are, uh, you know, they have they have their own political show now that is not under their their regular five hundred one c three. He's, you know, he said that they have become more of a full, you know, blown media company as a result of this crisis, which uh, which I found really interesting. I also noticed, you know, we were kind of using our inside voice a little bit when we all first started talking. But the next thing I know, you know, you're getting placed on all kind of, you know, media's calling you and you're serving on all kind of committees. What has that been like?
2: It's I mean, and so you both know and Jamil definitely knows that I do not like to be front and center in the media. I'd like to be behind the scenes. But um, you know, I mean, one thing that's been so great about the BEC is that we step up when we need to. We came together as a coalition, and if my particular voice is needed, then I will step up and do that. Um, you know, and we back each other up, and we have different expertise that we bring to the table, and we complement each other so well that, you know, when we're even thinking about opportunities that come up, we go, okay, well, who's right for this, you know, opportunity, yeah. and so forth. So um, I can't say that I'm still. Comfortable being out <laughs> in of center, but you know.
3: <laughs>
0: so I'll with, do it. When we started that, uh, you know, Tiffany is our leader. And <laughs> she, you know, she's so humble, at, but she's so good at what she does that I kept telling her, you know, starting using that as a joke. Tiffany is our leader as a leader because, you know, seeing just, you know, her, her effervescence on the camera. And how that translates, you know, she's somebody that people believe and trust and we can relate to. And she needs to be one of the faces of this, not the face, but she needs to be out there. And, you know, like she said, that whole coalition, jail, and the work that's ongoing, you know, she's been right at the center of it. And, you know, thank you, sis.
1: Thank you. we We could
0: not, we would have, but we could not have done it without you. I
1: appreciate that. Yeah. And I mean, I think that's the thing. We have been a a conduit uh, because combined, we all have opinions on some stuff. Mm -hmm. But I think our major job was to make sure that we're bringing in people that could really expand on stuff and and using their knowledge bases. You know, we 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 sit on the side and throw peanuts and, and talk about some things. We obviously have our own expertise in our own fields. But I think I've loved the fact that people have been so willing to do what you did which is to come in and share that. And then, you know, all of us have gotten that awkward call. Like, um, and that's where I think Black Pittsburgh itself has grown in some immeasurable ways. We have been doing mutual aid. We have been doing those calls, like you talked about, Tiffany, like, oh God, I don't know. I've had several calls with the press in this last year that I can't imagine I I would have had, uh, both for this show and and other platforms that I'm working on. But I think there's been a generosity of the Black community in this last year okay. that has been, uh, in midst of, of the tragedy and the and the losses, has been so really nice to see. Yeah, um, willingness, you know, even though Dr. Bay has jumped in and uh, <laughs> it's, it's not known for being generous, but uh, <laughs> but but he has been. Tell me, you know, things have blown up for you, Dr. Bay, in this last year. You know, for some people, it has been loss of jobs, loss of life, loss of, there's a lot of Mm lost work as a result of this, but our lives have changed, our work lives have changed as a result of COVID as well.
0: So one thing that's happened, and, you know, this shows it was, was a big part of it, we talked a lot about black neighborhoods all across, you know, southwestern Pennsylvania. But we really, and, and this was my opinion, we really did not have a sense of a black community. Mm-hmm. You know, we thought in terms of, oh, I live in Belt Souver, That's where, it, you know, that's that's what is important to me. People, you know, I live on the north side. I live in Homewood. And we thought about our own neighborhood spaces. And we didn't include and think about, oh, the people in McKeesport, the brothers and sisters in Clarence and Duquesne and, you know, in Carnegie now and out in Aliquippa. And and now with this format and this black, you know, we have that sense of a black Pittsburgh now that we've not had in a long time. And so I think on the one hand, the really rewarding thing is that this jail, this reach of, of just influence and connectivity, you know, one, because we've been bringing people from all across the region into the conversation, but two, we see how that the same nonsense that's inflicting Homewood is also inflicting the Hill and Hazelwood and McKees Rocks and McKeesport, you know, and, and we're able to sort of think of, okay, well now what do we do about it? Who are the people, who are the players there? How can we reach out? And so that that for me has really been a lot, but what it's also done to, you know, to the other point is having the opportunity to speak here has also, you know, gotten me invitations to speak elsewhere. Mm -hmm. And in that space, able to sort of promote this message of this intersectional work that we have to do, Mm -hmm. that solving the housing crisis by itself is not gonna do anything to improve the lives of black folks when our education system and our job workforce is is so weak and our environment continues to be degraded and our health issues and our health access continues to be poor. And so this approach that we're taking is, you know, we have a chance and a platform to promote and talk about that. Yeah. And so yeah. that, as, a, as as somebody who's been saying that for a long time, you know, this platform has given me a chance to think through some of that, get some pushback and to build on some of those ideas.
2: Yeah. And uh, to tell our narrative, right? I mean, right. That's, that's one thing that's been very different for me is, you know, other platforms putting out the narrative. Right. Whereas, you know, we are trying to, you know, Change the narrative and 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 speak for ourselves. Um, so that has been very
1: impactful for me over this year.
0: Right. What's that response been like? Bias,
1: <laughs> yeah, right. Well, what has that response been? This is this is not the norm. This has not always been positively taken when we are generating our own message. What what has been the, what has been the pushback?
2: Oh, a lot of pushback (laughs) from, from even the, just the data transparency. And that's where we started. Right. So when, Mm -hmm, um, you know, when I was first, the, the first guest, we were talking about how we didn't have the data. Um, and so that has been a recurring theme throughout trying to track COVID, you know, in our communities, um, from all levels, local, state and, um, federal. And now, even though we knew all, a lot of the pitfalls, um, we knew how to solve some of the issues. We're still having the same problems when we're talking about data related to vaccine. Mm. So um, from the data perspective, we had a lot of pushback because you know, the story is not, um, you know, pretty at some times. And so there's not always the the willingness to be transparent about what's happening.
1: So is that one of those? who who controls the data? controls the story? Yeah. Well and who controls the
0: media access? So the, the, uh, another part of the pushback has been, Black folks in Pittsburgh in general are very conservative Mm -hmm. and, you know, we really are scared of white folks. And to speak up, oh my goodness, you said you contradicted Rich Fitzgerald in public? (gasps) You know, folks are are shocked and surprised. You know, what we want to do is Peduto can come out and say, yo, there, there are two cities, we gonna give them a hug, right on bro. You know, bullshit. I mean, we have to raise the bar in the discourse, and like, this is an effed up place to be a black person. No, no, there's no other way that you can't sugarcoat that. Yeah. And what we yeah. need to do is we need to hold everybody who can do anything responsible and accountable, and that's not something Pittsburghers are used to doing. And so this conversation here has given us more of a space to, you know, to call bullshit. You know, and it doesn't matter. And it's okay, whether you're a council person. And you went to a black church, or whether you're a mayor, or to, you know whatever. If you're full of shit, you're full of shit. You got to bring an agenda that's going to support and advance black folks. Because what's the alternative? Let's invest in more of what's going to get the markets going, and then we'll think about black folks. Let's continue to do what we've always done, and then we'll think about black folks. You know that's that's not acceptable, and we need to, we have a space to call that out.
2: Yeah, and the pushback on on black leadership in in Pittsburgh. I mean, so I think that the, the the narrative that you can bring in community organizations that can help, you know, with the mission, but bringing in black leaders to actually help with the decision making, or not even lead. So lead and be a part of the decision making. Um, there's a lot of pushback related to that. And so, you know, that's been been an eye opener for me because I spent a lot of time at the university where, you know, we <laughs> we, we do a lot of that decision making. So yeah. um, from a political perspective and a corporate perspective and, you know, so forth, um, it's not very, very, um, you know, people don't take that very well, the, the black leadership.
1: What's well, the inclusion part? So, yeah. you know, the work I do all day long is diversity, equity and inclusion. And, you know, I get calls about the diversity. I need to hire some black people. I need to get some gay people in there. I need to do, you know, all that's great. And and I don't do that work. And, you know, I do a lot of culture work because you're not ready to hire black people or brown people or gay people or anybody else if you haven't hired them for 45 years. You know, we need to talk about what's been happening. And, you know, I really enjoy that work, but then it gets to once those hires happen and people are in place, what you're talking about, the inclusion point, it's like, we got you in the door you know, we look really terrific. When you look around the room, we've got a little bit of everything. But when it gets down to these really talented people that, that are now in the room, actually having a voice and making decisions, you see the discomfort, you see the kind of like, whoa, I mean, we, we invited her to the picnic. We got to, you know, she don't eat. She's <laughs> she just gonna ask for, ask for something to drink in a minute? She's rude. You know, and I, I think that's what we are also seeing is that all of us have been asked to be on some committee or to speak on something. Um, And some people really do know we're going to be really honest with our opinions. Other times I think people are like, ooh, I wasn't expecting that much opinion. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Give me some partial opinion.
0: I've been getting pushed off of committees and boards. They're like, oh, he's... (laughs)
3: Oh, no.
1: Well, yeah, we've had some losses. <laughs> yeah, but there, there have also been, you know, I, I won't say who, but we've had a couple people, you know, one I'll mention because I, I think I, safe, I safely can. Um, Alexis, who was with the uh, Pittsburgh Post-Gazette, you know, mm-hmm. she came on and talked about what, what happened. What was it with the days? <laughs> He was, she was out of the, the Pittsburgh Post Gazette. we had um, somebody from another county entity that ended up you know not being able to continue to do their job the way they were doing it before because of politics you know once they left the job. So you know we've had some before show conversations with people to say in this very you know um, this, this, this city has a narrow view of, of how we should use our voices and our consequences. Mm-hmm. And and there have been a couple in this last year that they weren't sorry they came on and talked, but their employers, you know, kind of gave them a blues once they left. So that that was hard for us because you mm-hmm. know by no means that we want to have anybody risk their well being uh, to talk up against oppression. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know how you felt about that, just um Jamel. Well,
0: I mean, it goes back to you know the the control that we have the the one of the reasons that black folks in pittsburgh are so conservative because that's the kind of stuff that they face at work you know you there are consequences for speaking out there are consequences for standing up for yourself and even when you work in city you know county government city government there are consequences for hey i'm not i'm not cool with that this is not fair I, i'm going to speak out about that and, you know, the, the incident you're talking about, you know, that's been written up in several, you know, the city paper, you know, followed up with that county entity. It's not DHS. It's not the health department, but the other major county entity that you don't want to name for some reason, where they just pushed the brother out. Yeah. And, uh, because he came in to talk about how COVID was impacting folks that he was supposed to be taking
1: care of. He mostly talked about himself and it's right. own... His own, you know, dealings with COVID and his family and talks about where he worked and how much he loved his work. But next thing we knew, he didn't have a job. Not doing that. He's working elsewhere. But I was like, really? We're trying to play like this? Uh, kind of hardball. And so um, ooh, you, you're moving, Dr. Bay, you got me you're doing this. Yeah, <laughs> he should, I'm literary desk as he um he's in the midst of running from a volcano to uh try <laughs> to make his way back to Pittsburgh. Dr. Ray loves a good story. He's, he's got a good one this time. <laughs> <laughs> he's being stopped by volcanic ash. I was,
0: really, I was really, um, you know, if you stay with place 183 days, your tax status changes. I need to get back to Pittsburgh. <laughs> 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 you know, I can't live six months of the day here. But I was on my way back, you know, then this volcano has really disrupted things. And, you know, a a shout out because, you know, the U.S. media is not really covering this adequately. The pending humanitarian crisis that's looming for the brothers and sisters in St. Vincent. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's 100,000 folks, you know, they've evacuated about 20,000 of them, but there's no electricity on the island since last Friday. Mm -hmm. And so that means no water treatment. And, you know, the volcano has been erupting pretty regularly since then. And so, you know, we have dust and plumes and I'm sitting here in a room in the tropics with all windows closed so that you're not breathing that in, but it's hot as rats Mm in here. But thinking about folks who are hundred miles away in St. Vincent and, you know, with no airports nearby that are open, all humanitarian assistance has to come in by boat. Mm -hmm. And so we're thinking about how do we support folks and how do we think about that? And how do you evacuate 100,000 people during a pandemic? What's that like? Wow. Hurting people on the boats, you know, pushing, them? where are they going? Who's welcoming it?
1: Mm-hmm. And
0: then all of these small islands around here, there's no place for refugee camps. Wow. And so it's, it's a rough situation that's happening there, but you know, keep, keep those families in your prayers. That's serious, it's what's happening. And i just see from here, it's not being covered.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Oh, yeah, you no, know, I, yeah. I mean to the extent you sent me some pictures, and I was then I went really went out and started to look, and I realized how bad this situation.
0: And, and what we're I, laughing at, you know, social media folks from here in Barbados have been posting videos of the dust and you know what's happening here. We still have electricity for the most part, but there's no so there's no word getting out. I mean, there mm-hmm. there, are, there are some coverage, but it's not people really showing what's happening in real time. Is not it's, we're not we're not exposed to it.
1: Well, I know these folks have got to be feeling like they've been abandoned. So, you know, definitely keeping an eye out on how we can help from from this side. Um, You know, Tiffany, one of the things I wanted to get into, you know, we've had racism uh, being seen as a public health crisis for Pittsburgh. Now on a national level, we are are watching national leaders also do that. Um, We are in the midst of another rash of police shootings. And you know, just all kind of crazy that's going on now. You know, as as doing the work that you do, these declarations of, of racism as as a threat to public health, how do you interpret those? And and with that declaration, how are we gonna be doing things any differently? So
2: I mean, I think the declarations are important. I mean, they're not the end all be all, but they are important. So I can say, um, I was a fellow at CDC 20 years ago and we were trying to get measures of racism um, on some of the national surveys. We had a racism working group. There was a lot of pushback and not recognition from the agency that these issues were important. So fast forward 20 years, the director is now you know, um, outwardly admitting that we have legislation um, across the country on that. So I think it's, it's an important step Um, that leaders recognize that, but there has to be some action to that. So in our region, what's actually going to happen? Um, Are we going to, you know, um, build coalitions that are going to, you know, to hold people accountable? Are there going to be funds um, allocated to, you know, to anti-racist activities and so forth? So I'm all for the declaration, but not just in name, um, in in actual action.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think as we talked about our second half and we'll be talking about a little bit more about what this the rest of this year is going to look about for us. Um, really, we're talking about kind of dismantling kind of racist structures. I mean, we can't as three individuals who decided to do a show do that. But, you know, one of the things that we thought about this past year is we we were able to bring in guests who brought to light a lot of the, the things that are oppressive and that are keeping us from being all that we, be, we can be in the city. Pointing out something and then helping to dismantle the structures that maintain it are two totally different things.
3: Mm -hmm. And
1: uh, we're really thinking about all of these amazing coalitions that have developed in this last year. With Mm -hmm. all this mutual aid, you got you know, black women for education. You've got, you Mm -hmm. know, Rochelle is coming on later to talk about the black women's policy agenda. We've got the, you know, EJGP, economic adjust greater Pittsburgh. Black Worker Center, all of these things were not in existence a year and a half ago. So they're le- leveraging politically, they're, they're leveraging along racial lines, uh, inclusive, but b- being very deliberate about the issues. And it, it wasn't just to develop just for the heck of it for us to have meetings. You know, <laughs> Dr. Bay, what, how, why are we different uh, in 21 and 22 as a, as a result of these coalitions?
0: It's, it's probably a combination of one. there's been so much happening in the country that's been visible now, and mm-hmm. folks you know are also frustrated with we've not addressed the systemic structures, you know, and we've been thinking, oh, we need to do this. We need to do this in housing. We need to do this in education. And there's this this broader sense now that that's not been working. How do we get work at scale? And so it's a combination of one, there are people who are looking at and working across issues now, more so than before. And the idea that people, it's, you couldn't be in a public space and have a conversation about racism two years ago. Mm-hmm. You know, white mm-hmm. folks would curl up and run, yeah. you know, and yeah. start crying and, you know, oh my God, and talking about their stories and their persecutions. And you know, I tell now, you,
1: I'm being racist for talking about it. Right. Why are you bringing
0: that? Why are you focusing on these past issues? But what we see now when it, the rubbers hit the road, there are no uh, there are no biological markers that say that black folks are more vulnerable to COVID. You know that they should have worse outcomes. There are no biological markers that say that white folks that white folks are smarter than black folks. There are no, there's nothing that says that folks should be more vulnerable to diabetes. And so when you look at what's the denomination, you know, what, what's the denominator on this? It's structural racism. And people are recognizing that now. Okay, now how do we attack that? What does that look like? What does that mean? And so we still have this, you know, this timid way of thinking about, oh, are you gonna talk about US steel? Are you gonna talk about capitalists? Are you gonna talk about the economy? You know, yes, we are gonna have to de-silo these conversations to get at comprehensive solutions. The problem that we're trying to solve is this, and we're not limiting the way of thinking about solving that problem. How? Let's have the big picture conversation. And so I think the different part is there's been a broader acceptance of, of deeper conversations. And not everybody's yeah, comfortable yeah. with it, but I think people are like, okay, tell me what's wrong. What, what am I not hearing? And and some of these younger folks are a little bit more um, willing. You know, they 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 listen to hip hop and they, <laughs> they they heard some of those lyrics and know they're like, what, what mm-hmm. you know that they're starting to relate to at least that they want to be down and yeah. so they want to help.
2: And then and the university has um has done a lot of initiatives too. So you know, in inside the university we're having a lot of those conversations about um hiring more faculty, about having uh, more underrepresented faculty and leadership, and more opportunities for students, and and so forth. And so, those conversations are happening at the highest, the senior leadership of the university, which is going to have a huge impact on 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 the entire system. So, um, I I've been encouraged um, with those conversations because they're actually putting resources behind it. Well, um, that's what I-
1: you know. Exactly. Whether it's going Hang on there. I'm going to bring uh Rochelle Jackson into the conversation. Tiffany, stay as long as you can. I, you know, I would love for you to continue to to talk with us. But Rochelle is warning that Black Women's Policy uh, Center started off as an agenda and now it's a center. Mm-hmm. And I would really love to to get some of her feedback on on this as well. Hello, Miss Rochelle. How are you? Hello, I'm good.
3: How's everybody?
1: Everybody's good. I hope you've been able to listen in as we've been talking about, you know, what we're seeing. You've been spending some time kind of, you know, going around talking to black women, living all over the place, you know, both inside Pittsburgh and and, and, then the reasons outside. Um, Mm -hmm. And and I think what Dr. Bay was saying is we're starting to connect black communities in a way maybe uh, pre-COVID uh, we had not. And, and, you know, everybody's mm-hmm. about. oh, we're in the hills. So this is happening. We're in Homewood, This is happening. We're in the Mont Valley. This is happening. And there's been some cross-communication that I think is essential to mm-hmm. uh, really pulling together some powerful coalitions. And, you know, one of them is you got a new baby. Tell us a little bit about, about the Black mm-hmm. Women's Policy Agenda and Center. <laughs> yeah.
3: So, yeah, the Black Women's Policy Agenda is something that I have been... Um, I guess pregnant with for quite some time, Um, you know, contrary to what most probably believe, um, it was actually a vision that I had long before the gender equity report was released. Um, In fact, I had talked to um, Jamil as one of the people, um, as I was thinking about this idea um, and really wanting to really, you know, have some other thought leaders and figure out, you know, is this something that we need for our region? He was one of the people that I kind of reached out to, to get his thoughts and opinions on it. Um, But you know, I spent 20 years, 20 plus years doing public policy advocacy, um, you know, both from a lens of a black woman. Right. So understanding that when we talk about low income people and marginalized people and we use all these fancy terms and these, you know, big words. But when you think about it, who's really affected by these problems? Right. Disproportionately affected by these problems. And most of the work that I've done over the years, it's always black women. Right. I've done a lot of work in economic and social justice. Um, and we are always at the bottom of the totem pole. Um, but I was never able really to, to focus, you know, the work that I did um, from that perspective, right, really focusing in on the intersectionality of gender and race. And so as I started to think about and do work when I was with the Women and Girls Foundation, um, the whole goal of the feminist project was really to create this ecosystem of resources for single moms. And their children, um, but we know disproportionately when we talk about single moms struggling with poverty, dis- black women are disproportionately represented in those numbers. Um, and so, as I started to talk to organizations and you know just everyone who's you know community stakeholders about how we can come together to create this ecosystem, um, it was very clear to me, and I've always known it, but it got more clear to me how siloed this work is, right? How we're all kind of in our own little corners doing our own little things, um, and who is that detrimental to? Black women and their children, right? We're the ones who are most affected by that work um, because if we're not communicating and we're not working collectively, then we're missing something. There's gaps, right? There's, there's pieces that people don't know because we aren't connecting our work. We aren't connecting the issues and we aren't communicating with one another. Um, and so it was really starting to get very frustrating as I was sitting and jumping from all these tables and trying to figure out how do I bring all these people together to create this ecosystem for single moms? Right. Um, But then I started to even take a, you know, a more narrow lens and look at black women um, and thinking about the organizations that are working on behalf of black women and families in our communities who are doing some amazing work. Right. Yet we're in crisis. Houston, we got a problem. Something's not working. Right. I mean, people are I mean, I'm literally people are busting their butts in these communities. Right. On behalf of black women children and families and our communities, but something is not clicking, something's not meshing. And the conditions for black women are horrible, right? We're in a, we are literally in a crisis. And so the more I started to think about that and single moms, it was really clear to me that I think part of what we are missing is a plan, direction, right, for what we need to change and what the issues are for black women. We're kind of all just, you know, guessing, I'm gonna try this and I'm gonna start this and I'm gonna start that, but none of that's really working, right? And we're not getting the outcomes that we need. Black women are just surviving. And they've been doing that for decades. You know, I watched my mama do it, my grandmama do it. You know, and it's time that we, you know, stop talking about it and be about it, right? We have got to. And black women have got to lead that charge. We've got to be centered in that work, right? We can't. Too often, you know, people think voting is all we have to do. We put the right people in office, and they're going to fix it. They're not going to fix it. I can tell you from from twenty plus years of public policy advocacy, they don't have all the answers. They barely have any answers, to be honest with you, right? (laughs) And so so I'm just keeping it real. They need to be told what to do. What do you need? What do you want me to do, right? They need talking points. They need to know what the real issues are. They don't know everything that's happening in our lives and in our communities. They're only one person, right? And so that's part of the problem, right? People think I just vote for this person or this person, you know, even me as an advocate. Oh, Rochelle got it. She going to Harrisburg, she going to DC, but I'm the only black face at the table, right? I'm representing the whole community, right? And so it's not enough of us that are represented in these spaces and our voices are not being amplified. And as a result of that, our issues aren't being um, addressed in any kind of concrete way that really improves the quality of our lives, right? People have really just been going from day to day, making it the best they can, um, you know, for years and years and years, right? We declared racism, as a public health crisis in the city and the county. What does that mean? It sounds good, but what does that really mean to the quality of life of people who live in the city and people who live in the county, right? I, we, we can no longer just accept things that are on piece of paper and they, they sound good and they look good. We have really got to get down to what it takes to change our lives for the better. And we have got to be a part of that, that solution, right? And so that was really, the heart of the Black Women's Policy Agenda was really not recreating the wheel. It wasn't Rochelle coming and saying, I know what our issues are and I have the answers. I can fix it." it really was about bringing us together collectively, you know, for the first time, you know, talking, you know, at the intersection of gender and race and really talking about what are the issues that we need to be focusing on? What do Black women have challenges with and how do we address that on a larger level, right? I get it. We need, you know, rent help. We need, you know, utility help. We need food. Kids need clothes. All of those things are important but those are band-aids to a deeper issue, right? And if we're not getting at the core of the problem, then we're going to continue to just put band-aids on, on, a, on a, a wound that's never going to heal. And I'm not about that. I spent too many years of my life doing public policy advocacy to create real change. And I'm yeah. not about spinning my wheels, right? So this is, a, for me, this is about really doing some work getting some outcome, and it's not going to happen overnight. Then let's not be confused. It took us decades and decades to get to this place, so it's not going to happen overnight. But we got to start somewhere, and we have to be centered, and we got to be leading that charge. You know, and being our voices need to be heard. We got to be trusted as
1: experts. So, so one of the things that happened while you were, you know, because I was kind of thinking about doing what you what you were doing, and we kind of came together. And I was having mm-hmm. meetings literally in my house. I think the biggest one we've had over twenty people just sitting on my floor yeah. and everything else in my living room talking about mm-hmm. issues of black women in Pittsburgh and trying not to, we, it, it was an interesting time because we saw the report. We lived the report. We were both angry about it. And Tiffany and I are doing some other work on, a, on another project about that. But, you know, we went from like, and the, is this news to anybody? You know, we were, and we were mm-hmm. about how it was being, you know, kind of how it was in the news and, and why this seems like such brand. Why I was so brand new to so many people. And when, when we gathered, you know, at multiple meetings at, at my house, we were starting to talk about, again, the coalition of power and and the demanding for change and the not waiting or whatever the next report was to tell us how bad we were doing. And you know, so other things, you know, kind of grew out of that. You were already, you know, starting some stuff. And I was like, okay, I, you know, I'll take it. I, you know, I got another job, I'll support you on it, you know, work with you and you know, in an advisory role if you needed me. But are you finding that those, you know, because power is also where the money is. So, you know, part of the problems that we talked about in those rooms were dealing with philanthropy, dealing with corporations, dealing with people who could put money in to address some of these issues that were not really including us in conversations. Not only not including, but we were not in the power seat like like we were talking about earlier, Tiffany, that we were really impacting decision making. Are we any closer, Rochelle, in terms of of the work that you're doing now? Are we still in prep mode? Are you feeling like something's changing and giving a little bit? Absolutely there's been a huge shift. We at
3: Pittsburgh of course we are a little behind the 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 gate in terms of other you know cities that are much more progressive than we are but if you look at nationally just look at what happened with this last election and how black women asserted their power right within democracy. If if we never knew our power before we should know it now, right? So now is the time to use that power to continue. Don't don't fall back right? We've already took that step. We've already asserted. We've changed. The, I mean, we really changed the whole dynamics of this country, right? Just by, you know, asserting our power at the polls and getting people out and galvanizing, you know, large groups of our communities to be represented in that, in that vote. And so I think for, for the first time, Um, that I can think of, you know, black women can really see the power in ourselves, right? And the power that we possess to bring about change. If we can do that, then there's nothing else we can't do, right? If we put our minds to it and we come together. And what that you've seen was a collective, that was black women coming together, collectively working together to make that happen. Even locally, we had some amazing black women that were organizing, locally to get folks to the polls to get people registered, you know, making sure that it happened here in Allegheny County. So we're not, you know, it's not exclusive to Georgia, you know, and southern states. We did our thing here as well. You know what I mean? And so let, let's not let's not be mistaken about that. But it showed the power that we have. And so I think if nothing else, you know, we can see, you know, one of the things I learned in talking to black women, as you mentioned, I've been you know spending some time and I talked to almost 350 black women, black women feel invisible. And their voices are not heard, right, for the most part. Even when they vote, right, they really just feel like there's no power. They have been disempowered virtually by being silenced. And so that has to change, right? People need to be able to amplify their voices and their experience. When you don't tell your story and your experience, then guess what, that, guess what happens? It leaves room for someone else to shape that narrative and tell that story for you. And we know what that looks like. We've seen it in the media. We've seen it in the press, right? We know it's not pretty. And it's not true. Right. And yeah. so it is important for black women's voices to be heard and to be amplified. And we see we have power. You know what I mean? It's not about it is about money, but
1: it's not all about money. Right. Well,
3: we can exercise power in other ways.
1: You know, so so Dr. Bay, Dr. Gary Webb, I mean, we we talk about power. We talk about dismantling uh, power structures, shifting power. All of that's great. But somebody's holding on to power because they want it. There's there is. Money and power, there is the decision making and power. So nobody is just packing up uh power and and and, and put it in boxes and hand it to somebody else. There's gonna be all kind of pushback. What does that look like in our region?
3: Yeah, that's yet to be seen. I don't know if Dr. Bay has an opinion on that or or, or or Tiffany, but yeah, that definitely um it's gonna be a huge shift for our region, right? Because, like I said, in talking to almost 350 black women. They are not used to, I asked them, you know, I, it was, we called them listening sessions. I want to hear from you. That's difficult for black women. They aren't used to being asked what their thoughts are, what their opinions are, what has been your experience? What do we need to change to make your life better? That's not something that they're used to being asked or conversations they're used to being a part of. Um, So that was the start of change um, for sure. But, um, but I definitely think
1: all the rest of this. I mean, I I think about this last year of shows right? We, we are talking police violence. We're talking about the impact of COVID. We're talking about Black women. We're talking about what's going on in Allegheny Jail, one of the worst jails in the nation. We're we're talking mm-hmm. politics, incarceration. I mean, we have tackled some massive kind of issues. At the core, of most of them is white supremacy. And so as we talk about all of this stuff, and, and we look at a new year of all these new coalitions, we are going to walk into folks who are going to, that they've conceded some by getting you at the table, but I think this is a real year in 21 and 22, when not only you're at the table, you're demanding to be a part of, not just a part of the conversation, but a power, part of the power sharing. That's mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. when it could get interesting to me.
3: Yeah. Yeah. But we're not asking. Let's, not, no, let's, not, we're let's not. not make no mistake. We we are we are going to... If we, Shirley Chisholm, bring a folding chair if there is no seat at the table for you. That's what we are building power to do. We're not asking. This is not nice. This ain't cute. Black women are really suffering in this area. And we have got to be a part of changing that for Black women. And so, well, I mean, we, we're else?
1: not... How are you bringing others along? Jamil, I mean, what are your thoughts about that? How are we... Because we are bold. You folks on this call, a lot of the people we've had on the show, we don't mind using our voices. We're looking at, at ourselves, our children, our grandchildren, and we know we do not want it to be the same for them. But How do we bring along this narrative, this, this conservative population of black people uh, to say, stay in that fight, even though the threats are starting to come at your neck? How do, how do we keep people in that game, Dr. Bay?
0: So So one of the things so as Rochelle so in this process, she's talked to three hundred plus women yeah. and three hundred fifty plus women to to sort of get this framework. okay, now it's it's not Rochelle's frame. This is this is these are the voices of these folks who are have been voiceless. Now, what happens when you unite those voices to roar? What happens? No, this is our agenda. like you said. And th- this is not the compromise. What we always end up doing, and here's what I'm, I'm happy to hear what Rochelle is saying that we're not doing anymore. We always say, OK, this is what we know we have to have. This is what is necessary. But we also understand, Mr. County Executive, that you have all these other constituents. So let us negotiate for the smallest little piece. You know, that that's the part that we're done with. The part, that the where we have to stand out is our highest, greatest demand is where we start the conversation, because we've been we've been the afterthought. When you start using this bullshit language about minority, you know what that means second, less than other. You know you get the scraps from the table. We're not a minority, and as folks who've been excluded and shat upon for you know since this city, this country started. That's no longer acceptable. Here's our highest, greatest demand. And here's the what we're telling elected officials for our vote. Here's what we're expecting. Not you to go and compromise. Okay, let me take some pictures and put my arms around you and then sell you out. That part of it is where we have to be publicly accountable. And when it happens, publicly vocal. Well, don't say anything because we don't want him the next time. We still want to go. Hell no. Let's call these clowns to task. Yeah, They're not yeah. Just selected if it all every you have to be held account. You are responsible. You can't represent people. Rochelle can't represent those three hundred and fifty women that she talked to if she comes up here talking nonsense.
1: <laughs> no, no, her no,
2: But I think also have to join forces. So, you know, in those spaces, so, you know, mm-hmm. again even from being in the university where we're underrepresented, it's joining forces with other folks that, um, you know, may have power and influence um, and have, you know, similar um, values. And so, you know, uh, one of the things we've been doing is we created a social justice action committee um, within our school that has, you know, everybody from all walks of life, faculty, students, staff, um, but everybody who are they're committed to these issues, so it's not mm-hmm. just when we're in this particular space that we're talking about it. When they're in their other spaces, then they're also, you know, putting the message mm-hmm. out. Right. Mm-hmm. So it's
0: it's building those coalitions, finding those folks, but not compromising what you need and what your demands are. That's it's the important, important. part because what we what we see happen. We this there's this thing that's happening in the city now where in our next when they show the numbers, the poverty rate in Pittsburgh has dropped. And, oh, let's celebrate that. We're celebrating it because you pushed the poor people out of the city. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's, okay, there are mm-hmm. fewer by number because you pushed them out. It's not anything to celebrate. And so, as no, what is it that we're asking? How do we stay in our neighborhoods? How do we have dig? Mm-hmm. How are our neighborhoods safe places for kids to play? Why, yeah. How are our schools good? I don't need to move and we need to, let's relocate all the black folks here to go be near somebody who their goodness is gonna rub off on us. How do we make mm-hmm. our own places those, and that those are the demands, not yeah. what
1: we're getting from
0: these elected officials that we have.
1: Yeah. It's a, it's a, it's a different conversation for sure, because I mean, I, I think what we are determined to do is, you know, I, I think we'll continue to use this program to, to highlight things that are are good, that are a threat, that are systemic, and all of that. But I think what we're committing to now is is shifting into you know big time accountability nonstop. You know this 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 is this is accountability 2021 right now in terms of you know and you know Dr. Gary Webb. Uh, I was really glad to hear you talk about what's happening. That you were in real conversations with the university, you know, University of Pittsburgh, Carnegie Mellon, all of them have had a continuous reign in terms of being 90, you know, my, my former alma mater at Indiana University, all of them, that, that 90% plus range of, of, of faculty. And and they have somehow thought, you know, this is just, just how it is. And, you know, I've had plenty of folks like myself and a lot of other people with, with doctorates who who can't begin to kind of tear down that system to try to get in it and do anything. It has just not been accessible to us. And so, you know, suddenly in this last year, post, post George Floyd, post, you know, a lot of stuff, there's been so much pressure now to, to kind of open up conversations. You know, I can be somewhat hopeful in some in some institutions that, that we're gonna see some changes, and others and policing and a few other ones. I ain't so sure. Uh, I think they're doubling down. I mean, we we've we've had we've lost another young man. Uh you know, oops, I thought I had my taser, but it was actually a gun. And you know, the law said he could be stopped because he had an air freshener in his hanging on his on his uh, you know, off his windshield. Uh, and so pulled over and he's gone. So those kind of just that kind of dismantling can be daunting, overwhelming uh, of those types of systems, child welfare systems. Another big one that is you know a a lot of problems in how they treat black and brown children. So I mean, this has got to be a cry across all platforms about dismantling.
0: So the 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 empire is definitely going to strike back, and so we see that, but the the. The conversations now, and no, they're not there, the University of Pittsburgh, Carnegie Mellon University, but at least we're having conversations where we're getting folks to listen. As anchor institutions, it's not like you can shut your University of Pittsburgh down and move it to Akron. You're the University of Pittsburgh, you're, you're here. Carnegie, you're not moving that. So as an anchor institution, you know this city is messed up, but you also know that between the two institutions, you have top programs in public health, in education, in engineering, in architecture, in in all of these things, social work, that the problems and challenges of this city, you have the resources and the tools. How do you become better partners? It's atrocious that you cannot graduate from a school in the city of Pittsburgh and then uh, move on to the University of Pittsburgh because the schools are so poor. And it should be an insult to the university that you can't be a better model for partnering with public schools to, to eliminate those barriers. Right. How right. would you do that? What's that relationship? Look, that, that's your challenge. And so we've had these conversations and they, they don't know how, but they're at least willing to have those. What does that look like? And you see them reaching out and, and look, I'm not I'm applauding that they're willing to have the conversations now to become better partners. Yeah, but that's the challenge to an anchor institution. This is your city too. The city can thrive if you use your resources, your faculty and staff, those brains at that. You, how do you become a better neighbor?
1: Right, and philosophically, <laughs> how did we get here? You know, I mean, I was talking to IU. You know, I did a a, a presentation for um, Indiana University on on their DEI challenges, and you know, I started looking at who they were recruiting and. And I said, but what, who you weren't interested in was, was the ordinary Negro, like me, who came out of, of, of Indianapolis Public Schools. Who <laughs> So I mentioned Indy because this is a national issue. I said, you, you guys, we weren't glamorous enough. You you, you, you you imported some from other countries, but folks who look like the kids who are coming out of PPS ha, and it, are, are see those places as places to work. And so mm-hmm. I'm encouraged that at least minimally, the conversations are starting to happen, that they have to look at their kind of long-term systems. And I'm not, I'm not picking on the University of Pittsburgh or any of them. I'm just talking about systemic racism and and those opportunities this this last year has bought us to really sit down and have conversations. And I'm encouraged by some of it. I'm not naive. Uh, some of it will will end with us not being too much further along. I'm hopeful the University of Pittsburgh is is one of those and decides it wants to, it's competitive. Maybe it wants to be the example of how to do it differently. I, I, right. I don't know.
0: Here's where they have to be. And here's where, you know, PNC Bank. And I don't I don't mind using names. Bear and people, you know, everybody here. The problem is that you like uh, Tiffany said earlier, you know, they're deliberately working to recruit a diverse faculty, that, you know, that's cool. But what happens when you come here is, oh God, oh, that's a nice gig to get. You're, you're on tr- faculty at the University of Pittsburgh, your tenure track, as soon as you get tenure, let's take that ticket and go to another university where there's actually a thriving black community mm-hmm. where I can go to some restaurants and hang out with folks and, and be around people that look like me it's, whose food smells like mine. And so you see so many folks who are here, once they get tenure, they're gone. And so in order to fix that, you have to be a better name. You have to be a part of the solution. PNC can't recruit diverse upper management talent to stay here in Pittsburgh. They come, they go to the training center in Cranberry, and as soon as they finish that, oh, snap, reassign me to
1: Chicago, Philly, Maryland, anywhere but here. But, I mean, we get into those systems. I'm sorry, Tiffany, I'm going to get right to you. But we get into these systems like Walnut Capital the other day, that, quote, that, that, I don't know who, from Walnut Capital, they were doing their next expansion in East Liberty. And somebody asked him, were well, you going to have Black restaurants? And the dude's response was, uh, you know, basically he said, he, we're, we want successful restaurants that people want to eat at. In other words, if it's Black, nobody's particularly going to be interested in coming. When they they pushed him on it about, you know, whether they would consider it, all we want is people who can afford. So he went from stereotyping the fact that people nobody wants black food, to then say that nobody that black people can afford to pay the rent and be a part of it. And there was very little pushback on that crazy ass statement he made, uh, because that's the atmosphere in which we are living mm-hmm. and working. So, you know, those restaurants that you're talking about that may keep people, uh, we are looking at corporations that very easily without consequence say crazy stuff like that because that's where we live so that dismantling is
2: and that's exactly what i was going to say is that we're working on culture um and institutional culture so if we're going to recruit a diverse faculty one you know uh jamil's scenario of people get tenure and go other places so we want to create a you know a vibrant pittsburgh that can um, accommodate that but then we also want people to be successful so a lot of people come in don't have the support that they need and aren't successful and, and able to stay. So um, we really want to, you know, one, be able to have programs to mentor and, and, you know, create an inclusive environment and then also have a culture so that people feel comfortable staying. So all of those conversations are happening, but I, I agree that we have to keep the pressure on.
1: Um, and
2: I think we need community pressure too to, you know, to, to, to keep that going. Yeah. Not just,
1: Know. You know, I think about Vibrant Pittsburgh, and you know, one of their jobs is, you know, they do DEI work and I'm not slamming slamming y'all, but this is what I hope y'all start to consider. Uh, you know, they they help with trailing spouses, they, you know, they get all these black folks that, that come through there and they and they advertise to kind of bring people into work. But you know, statistically they will also tell you these folks come here and they say about two years and they get the hell out of Dodge. And and so I mean, organizations like that also need to begin putting pressure on. I mean, I know they're funded by corporations, but they also need to start putting some external pressure on these corporations that they're working for whose cultures are, are so poor that when the, when these folks come here, they're just like, what just happened? I know, There was another high profile leader that just left and actually ended up in my home city of Indy uh, recently because he got here and was ready to do the work and didn't have any support. And they went through all of this money and time and bringing in the best. And the next thing I know, dude's working to do a workforce development. He's gone. You know, he he, he picked up another opportunity because, you know, there was some rumor that he felt he couldn't be effective. So that's the dismantling right. and the you know, second look that we're going to have to do in yeah. the city what we want.
3: But the focus can't always also only on be on you know management positions, top level top executive positions. We need to diversify there. But we also need to also consider the fact that the gender equity report, as well as through my conversations with black women, you know, show that black women want to work but are not getting hired, right? So they reported working two, three jobs, right? and still just surviving and not thriving, right? They, they, you know we have the largest population of people working in low wage jobs and that is, that is the same to be said for the Pittsburgh region. So we can't just focus on bringing in talent, right. To take on those executive and middle management, you know, positions. We also have to be thinking about, you know, everyday people who are trying to thrive in this, yeah. in this area and, and I can't get in. Employers are not hiring. And we know why, right. Discrimination, is systemic well, and They're hiring, but it's a
1: All of that. Right. They're not it's hiring a, us. They're not hiring, they're us. hiring On this end, but then they're not hiring on the other end where the money is. And then at the same time right. telling don't deserve $15 an hour, that is minimal to their survival. Right, so I'm just saying we can
3: address the talent and keeping talent in Pittsburgh and those executive and management positions, but we also need to address the fact that everyday people, particularly women need to be able to have living wage jobs as well. And we are not being let in the door. We are being stopped at the door and there are ways that we can address that, right? As a community uh, to make sure that there, we level that playing field for everyone.
1: So, w'e ready to take it all on, Doctor Bay.
0: (laughs) I mean, there's there's a lot for us to unpack here in this conversation because there there are so many things that we're going to be able to use for you know future episodes to talk about. But uh, uh, Rochelle, I'm so not used to calling you Rochelle. Rochelle's point (laughs) about these jobs that women—I mean, I I chuckled when she said that because I, I had this experience traveling, where you know when you land at the airport. Other than there's Utah, because, you know, Delta has that hub in Salt Lake City, and Pittsburgh. Those are the only two jobs where you see white folks working baggage, working, uh, you know, at the stands. <laughs> you know, we Black folks can't even get those jobs. Every other city, even in Milwaukee, they got Black folks working yep. at the airport. And those are the jobs, know, yep. those jobs are not available to us in Pittsburgh. Mm-mm. No. Construction jobs, highway it's- construction, every other city, there's black men not here.
3: Yep. And that's acceptable. It's been acceptable. It's right. no
0: longer acceptable. Right. Yeah. And, and then, you know, we have a and, I, you know, I use it. We have a pro union uh, county executive who refuses to call anybody to task on this. But he's thought, you know, he's down with us and we continue to get Negro elected officials who support him and have his back. You know, we're not Mm -hmm. holding him to a higher standard. Like we were saying, we all have to be held to account. And, you know, Mm -hmm. fortunately he can't run again, but we need to make sure that whoever replaces him is, meets our demands and we need to stop this cycle of just
1: supporting. Mm -mm. Yeah, well, that's a hard, that's a hard one to break, but I think, I think we're definitely on our way. Uh, I know we're getting close to, to wrapping up again. You know, this this has been the year that was I mean, I can't think of of a year. I don't know if we'll ever have another year in our own in our memories uh, when we experience. I don't want to have another year like this, Mm-mm. but the, the upside is that it, it has been a really uh, positive change, I think, with the black community and the coalescing of, of so many people at, at all levels. Uh, I think it started off, you know, doctor, you correct me if I'm wrong, if we were dealing with the issues around poverty and around just basic needs at the beginning of COVID. And those were mostly the people we were engaging. But what I've seen in that year is folks, you know, who are professionals are are getting impacted by a lot of this stuff. Like the rest of them, they were like, Ugh. they start looking around like, we, we, can we talk? You know, and so there have been a lot of the integrational voices across these these economic levels that I think will be the only way that we really dismantle some of the systems that are in place. We have to do this from the the poorest uh, who need the most help to those with the most resources. Um, And, you know, it's just, we don't have a lot of room for people to tag out at this point in this fight. And so, you know, I hope we can. So any any final thoughts? You know, we, we've we got a uh, show coming up next week. Speaking of uh, politics, where we're bringing on uh, Councilman Ricky Burgess, Jerry Dickinson and Randall Taylor. We are gonna talk about gentrification, gentrification and and housing challenges. It should be good. We're supposed to be going every other week. Don't let us confuse you. It was just a timely issue and we couldn't let it go. So we, we're going to attempt to do every other week. But if we have something that's pressing, we'll come back. A little bit more often, but uh, because it's, it's, that, it's that critical. So, you know, I hope everybody mm-hmm. can join us next week when we really dig into what is happening in our communities. Why are half of these folks, you know, feeling like they just have to leave? And then it was not about crime and violence. There's some forced, you know, relocating happening in the city. And we really want to get down and, and, and talk about what that's like and, and, and what's happening and how we stop that and dismantle those systems as well. So, you know, I, again, I, I want to thank you guys for coming and celebrating with us this very odd year, but very necessary year for what Black Pittsburgh needs to know this this one year anniversary. Looking forward to tagging you guys, you know, in the, in the year to come on a whole bunch of other issues because you're not one issue people. You know, you guys are, are your hands in from education because you get kids or grandkids to you know you name it. You know, what do you hope to see in this? in this the rest of 21 for us, Dr. Bay. As we, as we wanted to see
0: if if Doctor Gary Webb or Rochelle had anything to close on.
1: Yeah, the only
2: thing that I wanted to say is we started this show out with COVID (laughs) and just reminding that we are still in COVID, and so (laughs) we need to, you know, still do all of our um, precautions that we've been doing, and then just you know, thinking about the vaccine, and we didn't talk about that much. Um, but our our coalition has been really advocating for equity in vaccine distribution for our communities. Um, I, I'm one of those people when I came on the first time I was excited about vaccines, I have been I'm like, really excited about it now. I mean, it's amazing what has been able to be accomplished. And You know, we are really almost at the end of it. So let's let's hold on, let's get vaccinated, let's, you know, and then we can move on.
3: Yeah.
2: Yeah. And I'll and
3: I'll just say that you can't address what you don't acknowledge, right? So just keep that in mind. We have to keep these conversations going. You mentioned the you know policymakers that you're talking with next week or for the next show. Um, You know, I had an experience, you know, not putting anybody on blast and not saying anybody specifically, but I requested to talk to black elected officials because I wanted to know, you know, from their positions and their perspectives, right, and their place of power, what are you doing, you know, to improve the lives of black women, right? and I wanted to discuss Black women. And they shifted that and said, we want to talk about the whole family, right? So that's a diversion, right? That's a tactic, right? To not have that conversation, not to acknowledge where the real problems lie, you know what I mean? And so we're not gonna, you know, for that show, I was fine, you know what I mean? But I made it clear, you know, let's not be confused. Women, Black women are in crisis. And we all know that, you know, on this call and we'll continue this conversation later. I just want to make sure that people understand we have to continue to, you know, make sure that people acknowledge these issues because until they acknowledge them, they won't address them, you know, so that's important to continue to center us in those conversations, even when it's uncomfortable I and mean, even when they don't have the answers, right, they need to be put on the spot and know this is something that's important to us and important to our communities and it should be important to you as well.
0: Well, I think if you would ask them that other question, Okay, well, what are you doing to support Black families? You would have got a him and a haw also. Uh, yeah. So before we jump away too fast, uh, Dr. Gary Webb, we, we can't not, since we did talk about this, the uh, Johnson vaccine, Johnson and Johnson vaccine, and that little hiccup today, um, what, what advice are you giving folks about that? I mean, what? so the six folks out of nine million. Six,
2: yeah it was something like six six million or something yeah. like that. Yeah,
0: right. I, I mean so it's a small number you know but this is the process though you're checking let's 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 slow down what do we know what do we know that those six are, are there any commonalities and anything that we can say that this is a problem or an issue you know that this is still statistically that's a tiny tiny number. Exactly. But the system is working and catching and checking those things that does not mean that we don't trust this process the nice thing about this is that this is such a public and transparent process
1: that mm-hmm. you hear about every hiccup
2: yeah and 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 it's and it's you know they keep using the uh, you know in an abundance of using an abundance of caution because right. you know even when when you're doing a trial even though the trials had you know 30 forty thousand people you just can't encounter every scenario that's that's going to happen right so when you're talking about vaccinating, six million people, things may come up that you, that you didn't notice. But again, you're talking about, and, and there were some, some instances in the trial, but again, we're talking about a very, very small number of people. And so they're saying, let's just hold right now. Let's look at the data. Um, and then we will, you know, um, probably, uh, you know, Reinstated very soon. The same thing that was done with the AstraZeneca in other parts of the world, and they resumed after you know looking at the data. So I just want people to know that you know when you do a study, you can't you can't account for everything that actually may happen. And so I look at those numbers every day. So we have um, 180 million people that have been vaccinated in the U.S. Um, and so it's you know out of all those people how, how how many incidents have you heard very 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 few so these these vaccines are doing extremely well and then the, the, the efficacy of these vaccines have been wonderful so we're talking about in the next couple of months we could have the majority of our population vaccinated so we we, we have to hold on
1: Yeah. And and hopefully the next thing is we're not dealing with some of these variants that are coming out of Brazil and other places. But I guess, you know, we just are kind of holding our breath that that the vaccines are, you know, responding to those as well. So I guess that'll be part of our future conversation. And there's no reason to think that they won't. Not yet. No.
0: One more thing, Naomi put a question in the chat about how we can support those folks that we were talking about before. Yes, you know, the, yes. the, there's a greater need in St. Vincent in the Grenadines than there is here in Barbados. Okay. So, you know, that's the the, that's the, volcano, not the vaccine. The volcano is on the island of St. Vincent and, you know, so there's not, there has not been any electricity. Um, I would, you know, other than the Red Cross, and he has a link that he can put in the chat, You know if you trust the red cross and red crescent societies to do you know they're 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 collecting and supporting but if you google it you know find one that you trust and that you want to support that you know how can i help the saint vincent and the grenadines find some way because they said these these folks the only reason that anybody's on that tiny island and it's an island that should not be inhabited with a threatening volcano like that the only reason that there, there's there is because somebody saw the profit and bringing some slaves over here to grow sugar cane. And so they dragged folks there, put them there. Now those folks are there and they've been there for hundreds of years. But that island, an island that size with a volcano that dangerous should not be people, They're populated But that's, you know, that's the world that we live in. And so we can talk about that. That's a whole nother issue,
1: but these are the structures
0: Hey, but if you can, you know, if you can support, please support.
1: So there was a link that was put into the into the chat that gives you a little bit of inf- more information about you know the Saint Vincent area, Barbados, Grenadines. It's it's all there. Uh, let's let's keep an eye out. If we have any other information to post, we, we will do that because we are concerned. But in the meantime, we are a little bit overtime uh, as usual because that's part of our our you know yearly thing too. We were on for an hour. We're never, you know, we always stop around three ten but uh, we appreciate you guys coming on. We look forward to our guests and what should be a lively conversation next week. And, um, you know, we're three months later, but, you know, welcome to 2021 and what Black Pittsburgh needs to know. And uh, hopefully have, we have another really good year uh, providing the information that you want to hear about and that you continue to engage in conversation with us. Until then, we will uh, we'll see you next week. And we'll uh, do our first 15 and see what's happening, um, you know, this time next week. So thanks again, and we will see you all.
0: Peace.